Hello and welcome to Behind the Scenes with Colin Edmonds, a podcast in which I talk about my life and career as a successful comedy writer in British television. I'll also talk about my interests and inspirations and chat with the occasional guest. If you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to share it and give us a five-star review. To find out more about me or to order any of my books, please check out my website. All the links are in the podcast notes. And I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four. Today we are talking about female presenters and entertainers, uh, entertainers that you've worked with. That yes, absolutely. <laughs> very, very nice, very nice opening uh, gambit of yours. There it sounded very, uh, very professional, very BBC Four, Radio Thank Four. You. The shipping <laughs> forecast today. <laughs> um, so let's start with entertainers that you've worked with. Okay. Uh, the singer and impressionist Karen Kay paid played an important part in your life. Yeah. Uh, do you want to explain to everyone well, what role that was? Sure. Well, if it hadn't been for Karen Kay, uh, ostensibly, uh, you wouldn't be here now. Because it was on Karen Kay. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, carry on. No, because I'm serious. Because ultimately, it was working on the Karen Kay show, um, where I first met your mum. Mm. Very, very first time I saw your mum was in the gallery of, of Studio 6 at Television Centre. Um, uh, and, yeah, OK, but I won't bore everyone with th- that stuff. But but, but that that's why Karen Kay is, is desperately important to me. Now, I should explain uh, for anyone who doesn't know who Karen Kay is, and I'm sure you were just about to ask me that. Um, she was a brilliant impressionist and vocal entertainer. Uh huge on the cabaret circuit and a powerhouse performer oh my gosh she was good and she she had some pin sharp impressions um Cher Mrs Thatcher Barbara Streisand oh her her singing impressions were fantastic and she did like comedy she she re um, she was a she was a tough bird on the cabaret circuit obviously very successful to have her own named show so yeah. her name was the show yeah was it on bbc or was it bbc two bbc two i I joined um series one happened then they asked me to come on board uh with uh, series two just to freshen it up a little bit maybe take it in a different comedy direction and it we had great fun she is uh, karen Kay is a, a comedy genius i think because she's got such a good ear for comedy she knows exactly what what works and she can be saucy and sassy uh, but a powerhouse performer i mean she subscribed to the fact that she would walk on the stage of a cabaret venue to a fairly mm, not hostile but indifferent crowd and she'd make them have it she'd ram it down their throats and in the end it was such a powerhouse performance they loved her it was a great act uh, unfortunately karen um, really walked away from it, which was a great shame. I thought a great tragedy career-wise, but she did it deliberately. She did it absolutely deliberately because um, her son was getting an awful lot of traction on the on the 
in, in the music industry, on the pop... Sorry, I bashed something then. That's, that's unprofessional. But he was he was very, very big on the pop circuit. And, and she thought, I don't want to be a distraction for him. So she stepped away from her career as an entertainer so that he could go forward uh, with his career and become JK of Jamiroquai, mm-hmm. a, a real significant player in, in the uh, in the music industry. How long did the show last? Was it a couple of series or two the, or three? The Karen Kay show itself on BBC Two lasted two series. Right. Uh, I joined it in series two. Uh, I suppose I could, could say that I actually finished the damn thing the off. That one. <laughs> <laughs> no. but, but that was great fun. And I, I really enjoyed working with Karen Kay because she was a very, very smart woman. She knew exactly what, what worked. And she would sit for hours looking at tapes of Cher and Streisand and uh, Minnie Ripperton and people like that, uh, to, just to get that, to get the the nuances of their performance absolutely right. And she was really wacky. Karen was really wacky because one of her best impressions, well, one of her, no, one, they were all best impressions. One of her favourite impressions on the BBC Two show was Peter Cook's character E.L. Wisty. Now, even I had to look up Peter mm-hmm. Cook's character E.L. Wisty, and uh, Peter Cook made a couple of albums in that character, and he was very oh yes, you know, oh, oh, kind of kind of character. And yeah, I want to do E.L. Wisty because just for the hell of it, and it was it was great. I just, so I love that element of devil may careness and danger that she had now it was a, it was a joy working for for, for karen uh, and as you know we're still friends with with her now and um and i i have much to be grateful to her for uh, so another person that you often <coughs> talk about and say you were pleased to have worked with is marty kane now mm. i'll be honest mm. i don't know who that is but that's me and my ignorance. So could no. you explain to everyone who she was? No, I think um, it's not in your ignorance, really, because it's a generational thing. Uh, Marty Kane was a, another powerhouse female performer. She was a comedian and a singer. And she was immensely tall, slender, with a great shock of red bubbly hair. Uh, I thought she was immensely sexy. I mean, really, I mean, she was just great. Um, and she was, another, as I say, another powerhouse. She made you have it. Is that why you were pleased to work with her? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I would wanted to work with her for a very long time. Ever since I saw her uh, on New... Oh, I was on New Faces? My goodness, she was fun. But... And then, she, no, she went to present on to present New Faces on ITV. But I got to work with her right at the very end of not only her career, but her life. I worked on the last series she ever did for... Uh, BBC, it was called Joker in the Pack. Oh, it was a stinker. It was a lousy show. Oh, really? What was yeah. wrong with it? It was, a, it was a Joker in the Pack. It's all about jokes. But the lion's share of the show wasn't Marty Kane telling jokes. It was her marshalling members of the public to come on the show and, and tell jokes. And I, I don't know, call me, call me whatever you want. But I... I don't want to see the... I personally, as a viewer, I don't want to see the people I can see on the train or the bus or down the street on television telling jokes. I'd like to see professional performers telling jokes. So they weren't 
They weren't set up. They were proper members of the public. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I they, can see and, why that was a struggle. Sure. And they were coming along armed with their jokes, which they'd got from joke books or various comedians they'd seen on television and performed these jokes. But, and it, it was a... I was really disappointed that it, that it turned out to be one of the last things that, that Marty ever did. And I got on with her famously... Uh, we, had, we had a similar sense of humour. There were 12 shows in that series, Joker in the Pack. I could only do six of them. And then I left the show in order to uh, fulfil another contractual obligation for a game show or something. But to have sat with her as close as I am to you now, behind, you'll be on the glass, but, you know, it, one of the great joys of my life. I knew Marty Kane and I worked for her and that, that brings me immense joy. And for her to lose her life at the age of... Yeah, she died at the age of 50. Really? Yeah, from cancer. It was one of the, one of the great... There are many great tragedies in show business, but that for me was... was A big loss. Was way up there, absolutely. Mm. I, I adored the woman. As much as, a, much as I adored Karen, I, I absolutely adored Marty as well. So we've often talked about sort of the successes and the fun that you've had with various performers... To sort of turn that on its head a little bit, right. could you uh, discuss with with us <laughs> some occasions where you've not necessarily had the best time with performers or it's been a struggle? Uh, I know you didn't have such a great time with Scylla Black. No, didn't, so get, didn't get why, on. Why was that? Didn't get on with Scylla at all. Um, um, she certainly didn't take to me and to a lesser extent I didn't take to her. Not that my view of her is terribly important, but it it wasn't a marriage made in in heaven. Some people you instantly get on with, and others you don't. You just didn't click. Didn't click. That's exactly the road to use. And I I first encountered Scylla Black on a series called Blind Date, which is oh, yes. a big old ITV series. I'd made two pilots. I hadn't made. I hadn't made at all. I'd written some of the script for two pilots of Blind Date, hosted by Duncan Norvell. And they were rather good rather good shows, actually. Blind Date, if you don't know, was a, was a dating show. So um, a man would be, would interview, effectively, three prospective dates that he couldn't see. Behind the curtain. Behind the, behind the yeah, behind the screen. Mm. And um, uh, whichever... Uh, partner he, he chose the screen would be revealed and they would go off on a date and then they would discuss the whys and wherefores and the pitfalls of that particular date it was all very entertaining and lovely and Duncan Novella as I say made two very very good pilots at London Weekend uh, and I'd never known in that Studio One on the South Bank at London Weekend I'd never known such an atmosphere it was it was incredible it was electric because people were thoroughly enjoying his performance and and the show and then the producer, a brilliant producer called Jill Stribling Wright, called me up and said, Duncan Novell's not doing the show. ITV would prefer to go with Scylla Black. Oh, OK. So this is after the pilot. This is after the pilot, yeah. They knew they had gold dust in the show, but they didn't want Duncan Novell to, to host it. They wanted Scylla Black to come in. And the first series was only about six, six eps. And right from the get-go, it sort of got on sort of got on and oh I don't know I got the feeling that maybe because I'd, I'd done two pilots she, she they drew out some information from me that they needed on the mechanics of the show I don't know maybe I'm 
I'm giving myself airs here. But it, we didn't get on. And as the series as the series progressed, show by show, the, the distance between Silver Black and I grew. Um, and at the end of the series, mm-hmm, okay, uh, before series two began, the producer phoned me up and said, um, we're not going to pick you up for, for series two. And I, hand on heart, said to, to Jill... Oh, honest to God, don't worry about that. We'll still be friends, rah, 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 and I hope it goes well. Knowing, with a capital K in my mind, that Blind Date was going to be a monumental flop, and I was pretty well out of it. Glad to be out of it, thank you very much. So that gives you some idea of what I know about television and show business, because I think it ran for about 22 series and became the biggest show on television for two decades. Um, But, I mean, I take my hat off to Scylla Black. She was a terrific performer and her her career sustained for decades and she was so popular just one of them things I I professionally I didn't get on with her no you can't get on with everyone no Uh, and there's always big egos I suppose when it comes to performers that sometimes and writers (laughs) (laughs) had she done some television before yeah okay so she had some experience she was a huge name in the world of pop yeah. Going right back to the time of the Beatles, remember? Yeah. And Brian Epstein. And right through the 60s and the 70s, she just sustained this career brilliantly. And a whole bunch of series on BBC uh, on a Saturday night, uh, Scylla Black entertainment shows, big variety shows. So she was a real, really established uh, household name uh, in, in the UK. And, and then she got Blind Date and another show, Surprise, surprise, yes, of course, surprise, surprise. And, of course, her career took off if it needed to. I mean, it was big already, but it exploded. And she was the most significant woman on British television Mm. for many, 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 many years. I regret very much not being able to click with her, but uh, the stuff I was doing she didn't like. Um, I couldn't get inside her head. I didn't understand what she was doing and why she was getting laughs with that stuff. But I was gratified that a writer who had been very, very encouraging to me in my very early days, uh, called Vince Powell, a sitcom writer uh, at Thames, very successful sitcom writer, uh, he got to take my place. And so he had a very, very good run, very good lucrative run with with Scylla Black. So I was thrilled for that and and disappointed that I I couldn't really click with Scylla. Interesting, because you click with Paul O'Grady and they're both very close friends. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, isn't it weird? Yeah, some people, you just... I don't know what it is. The chemistry's wrong. The, the biorhythms are wrong. Um, nah. It but just didn't work. Just didn't work. But it, it's one of the few, quite honestly. But I, I, unfortunately, it just happened to be she was the biggest star in the country <laughs> at that time. And I didn't click with her. So, you know, more fool me. Uh, so what about actress Barbara Windsor or Dame Barbara Windsor, who we sadly lost yeah. earlier this year? Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of chums with, with, with Paul O'Grady, um, I wrote two or three, I think it was three, editions of Friday Night is Music Night, a BBC Radio 2 uh, music show, big music show, with the BBC Concert Orchestra for her. Um, I wrote Happy Birthday, Barbara, which is a celebration of, I think, her 75th birthday, then her celebration of Lionel Bart, and then a celebration of 
music hall and music hall artists. Um, and it's a, a big old two-hour music show. Mm. Um, one of them was live, I think, actually live. And, um, and she, that was great. Suddenly in the presence of, of, of Barbara Windsor was incredible. And what impressed me enormously was how professional she was. Oh, my God, she, because she knew entertainment, show business, and being on stage like the back of her hand. It was just fa- fascinating to see a real master of her craft on stage working that crowd, and indeed in rehearsal, figuring out what nuances and gestures to make when performing the script. That, that was that was marvellous. I was, I was very honoured to, um, to do that stuff for Barbara. Had you ever worked with her before? No. Because didn't she do some bits with Bob? She did, but she wouldn't have remembered that. I was very much right. in the background. Uh, she, she appeared as very often on Celebrity Squares in one mm. of the boxes. But this was a, a more one-to-one... Direct I was I was writing yeah. the script and she was reading it, changing it, uh, suggesting stuff. And so, it was, as you say, it was rather more direct contact. Um, so I was very... Oh, so fortunate to... to yeah, really, really lucky to, to have been in her company for some time. And staying with uh, Friday Nighters Music Night, there are a few more um, entertainers that you, you worked with. Tamsin Althwaite, yeah. Vanessa Feltz, and Shirley Ballas. Yes. Do you want to uh, let us know about what a few t- stories with them? Well, no, not really stories really, but what's interesting is is the different styles of performer. Um, Tasman Althwaite was um, presenting a show on musicals. Um, Vanessa Feltz was something to do with gardening, I think, if I remember rightly. And Shirley Ballas was doing dance music. Mm-hmm. But it was a lovely exercise that the producer of Friday Night's Music Night, Bridget Apps, asked me to uh, to tackle, which was the different styles of their performance. They, they didn't have to be hilarious, but they had to be what I call smooth patter, interesting facts between the pieces of music that each presenter was introducing. And if there was room for a joke, which might just sit in nicely, then you'd, you'd pop it in. But it, it was light and it was fluffy, but it was fascinating to get the different cadences and different rhythms of their speech patterns. Uh, Vanessa Feltz has got a, uh, a very distinct performance technique. She had great fun doing it and she really wanted to do the jokes. She, I, 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 I was going to ask, did any, were any uncomfortable with saying some jokes? Because obviously... Certainly for Shirley Ballas, for example, not necessarily uh, comedy is not something she would be familiar with or have yeah, to perform. Absolutely. And so you're aware of that when you wrote the script. Right. You OK, what would she say here? And it, her, her, Shirley Ballas's approach, I, I thought, would be very technical from a dancing point of view and very knowledgeable. And so born of that ballroom dancing experience. So I tried to adjust the script accordingly. And very often, you know, Marky, what, what happens is that the presenter will get the script and it's a great help if it's three quarters of the way there to what they want to say. And then that gives that last 25% gives them the, the flexibility to add their nuances to it, their little little peccadillos or what, and indeed their own stories very often, you know. But, but what, that's what I liked about doing Friday Night's Music Night when I was asked by Bridget. Um, it was the variety of different writing styles, and I, I, I very much enjoyed that. It was a, it was a, a lovely, um, it was a lovely task, a, a lovely opportunity. There were great shows, actually, big, big spectacles as well. If, if you could go to the uh, recordings, 
Didn't you come to one? I don't think I did, but I know you and Mum went to one and we, you saw the full oh, orchestra yeah. and yeah, we, I, we, came we, back ranting we went, and raving about that's it. That's right, we went to several. Um, at the Mermaid Theatre and at uh, Watford Coliseum and somewhere else. And, it, you know, to see a 78-piece orchestra of brilliant musicians, the BBC Concert Orchestra, in full flow with uh, someone like Mike Dixon conducting, oh, Gee whiz, you don't get the chance to see that kind of orchestral performance now. Um, and and it, it blew your brains out. It was wonderful. I suppose the only place really is BBC Proms. Yeah. And Friday Night is Music Night, but apart from that. Exactly that, absolutely. And then another another thing I, I did for Bridget was Proms in the Park uh, for Soteria. I did that for many years, but maybe we'll, we'll address that in a couple of weeks' time. I'm sure we'll do a, an episode on Soteria. Um, so yeah, you wrote I'd, I'd like to, yeah. Definitely. Um, you wrote for more presenters than entertainers um, when it comes to some more female performers or presenters, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, Gloria Hunniford, who I know you got on with very well. Oh, yeah. What a, what a fantastic professional. A great professional broadcaster. Just She just got it and she knew it. I mean, she could hold her own on radio with Terry Wogan. Uh, when Terry was at the, the Terry was all at the top of his game, but my gosh, she she could she could meet him head on. Um, and she's still going today. Wonderful, absolutely sensational, and she's got that lovely lyrical voice, which is just. But this, a smart woman, and I got on with her famously. I got the opportunity to do a a local chat show. London in the London area called Sunday Sunday I did one series of that uh, and got on with her famously and she's stayed in touch ever since and I've done a couple of other projects with her and for her and we're all getting to an age now where I've seen her at a couple of funerals (laughs) and she's always the same what you see with with Laurie Hunnifer is what you get and I I think she's wonderful great 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 broadcaster uh, another presenter would be Davina McCall. Do you have any stories with mm, Davina? Stories, no. It's, this is actually going to be a laundry list of people I've met, I suppose. But um, once again, I, I did a series of You Bet with Davina McCall, um, which she co-hosted with a, a, a friend of mine, Darren Day. And, I mean, tremendous. What a great work ethic Davina McCall's got. And whenever we used to toddle up to her dressing room with the final script just before showtime she would always say to Mark Wells and I gentlemen where have you been I've been waiting and it was brilliant it was just it was like it was like a a Bond villainess saying come into my lair gentlemen (laughs) I loved her to bits and what really impresses me immensely about her is not only how fantastic her career has soared but also it must have been 18 months after we did You Bet I'm on the South Bank and I'm, I'm I'm in a pizza place or somewhere having lunch with somebody and someone tapped me on the shoulder and it was her. It was Davina McCall saying, hey, how are you? Nice to see you. What are you oh, doing? Diddly, diddly, diddly. And she was sitting over there in the restaurant. I mean, way over there. And I hadn't seen her, but for some reason she'd clocked me. And the fact that she took the trouble to stomp 20 yards across just to say, hey, how are you? Oh God, that's you'll do for me. That that's is a nice, uh, fantastic. Nice way to nice way to go. And I'm I'm thrilled that the 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 way her career is is progressing and building. I I think she's great. 
another person that you worked quite closely with, um, again with another performer that we'll, I'm sure we'll talk in much more depth about uh, later on, uh, being Des O'Connor, oh, yeah. would be Melanie Sykes, who obviously co-hosted the show today with Des and Mel. That's right, yeah. That how, was. Um, how did you get on with that show and working with Melanie Sykes? That show was damned hard work. It was nose to the grindstone. What do you put your nose to? Millstone? Grindstone? It was nose to whatever stone you put to damned hard work. Oh, my gosh. It was getting up at silly o'clock and getting the script ready for, for live on air at one. Oh, gee whiz. And how Des and ostensibly Melanie Sykes managed to do that so consistently on camera is was just fantastic and the the level of, and the standard of shows that uh, today with Des and Mel uh, presented was just astonishing uh, I'll come to this a couple of weeks time but Des's contention with uh, Des O'Connor's contention with today with Des and Mel which was a lunchtime show it was an hour long live lunchtime show kind of magazine-y entertainment show Des's contention was always to approach it as if it was a primetime Saturday night entertainment show which I suppose to a certain extent was why they had a, a primetime entertainment director producers a bit of help from me plus Des and as a consequence, the show sung as a consequence of, 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 of that kind of full-on light entertainment Saturday night show complexion. It was like nothing that had ever been seen before at lunchtime. It was. A I mean, it did very well, didn't it? Fantastically well. I think it ran for about four years. Lost a bit of traction towards the end, but maybe we'll address that at another time. But just talking about Melanie, how she managed... She has my undying admiration. How that first week on those live shows for Today with Des and Mel, how she managed to get through those shows looking so comfortable and competent is a mystery to me because no one on that show knew what the hell they were doing. <laughs> was it just uh, it, it was, sort of... It was one of those keep shows... Keep going as you could. You'd keep going as much as you could because you'd find your own rhythm... And by week two, you sort of got the rhythm of the show and the measure of the show, and you knew at 11.15 where you needed to be with the show for a one o'clock transmission. And if you weren't at that point, you knew you were in trouble. Um, but, I mean, we used to... Admittedly, we used to deliver the scripts late because Des was always tinkering and helping and pushing and shoving words around the page. And, and how Melanie Sykes coped with that is is a testimony to her broadcasting absolute skill. She was a consummate broadcaster, and she wasn't as experienced on Desimel as she is now. And now she's got really got it hammered down. She knows exactly what she's doing. But those first couple of weeks with Melanie, I thought, oh, God, you're good. Had she done um, presenting before? Because obviously she'd been a model or yeah. was in advertisements? Yeah, she, she, was, she was an ad. She did a, a beer ad or some such. And she should been a model. Crabby's alcoholic what? beer or something, or am I getting mixed up? Somewhere. No, I think I think I tell you what I, th I think it was Boddingdon's. Oh right. But um, so she came into it with some experience, but this was a real baptism baptism of fire. Uh, she was thrown in at the deep end, and and she came up swimming. Um, um, hats off to, to Mel. She she 
she did ever yeah yeah it was called today with des and mel and and uh for a good reason because she was a good 50 percent of of the, the, of the right thrust the behind that show yeah mm. absolutely no no it was it was one of those shows where you look back on you think oh it wasn't so bad but at the time you think oh my god this is murder oh god. i mean i remember it was many years ago but it it was rare that we would see you when you were filming that one because it was you'd be up at the crack of dawn mm. and be back very late. Yeah. And that was sort of ongoing for the oh. four years you were working on yeah, it. Yeah, it was like leaving for, for Teddington Studios from here, where we live, uh, at up as five quarter to six in the morning to get down to Teddington to fire up my computer in Des O'Connor's dressing room to, to first of all, lay out the template which already existed, but then bolt-on stuff, uh, which were the the guts of the show, which the producer and the researchers had, uh, had arranged. Uh, oh, God, it was hard. Oh, I, dread, I didn't really... I tell you what, I didn't want to do the last series. I, re, I, I re resisted doing the last series. And it might have been better for the show if I hadn't done it, I reckon, because I was tired and stale in series four, which turned out to be its last series. And had they brought in a... a, a a whole bunch of fresh people, me included, um, pushed us out with fresh people coming in. I think might it might have had longer legs, but uh, but it was a tremendous experience, and indeed sort of set the way for a standard at lunchtime, a standard of show at lunchtime. Sometimes I suppose Loose Woman is much more relaxed, but that sort of chatty yeah nature, I think, mm. probably has some influence behind it. And ahead of it this morning is very magazine. Mm, yeah, that's that's a good. But, but Des and Mel was coming in as gangbusters light entertainment. You know, here we go, we're going to entertain you with jokes and stuff and interesting guests and we're going to confect those interviews uh, to bring out the best in those guests from a comedy point of view. Like like the old Des O'Connor chat shows used to be uh, in primetime. Another big show which had, well, it was a massive show, uh, Gladiators, which had a big, um, Ooh, yeah. powerful female host in Ulrika Johnson. How yeah. was it working on that show and working with Ulrika? Working with Ulrika Johnson was, I sound like a record, but it was an eye-opener. Breathtaking. I mean, what a presenter. I, bear in mind, Ulrika Johnson first came to, to the fore as the weather presenter on uh, a breakfast show, um, TVAM, I think it was. And then... Uh, Nigel Lithgow managed to get her, didn't manage her at all, cast her as one of the co-presenters of this big Saturday Night London weekend entertainment show called Gladiators, uh, alongside John Fashionu, uh, a former professional footballer. And when you think that Gladiators was staged at the National Indoor Arena in Birmingham, an audience of 4,000 people. Is that for every show? Every show. Wow. Yeah. Um, I won't bore you with the details of Gladiators, uh, but what impressed me so much was Fash, John Fash, who was used to appearing in front of thousands of people because he's a professional footballer, mm. you know, Division One footballer. So he was used to a great baying crowd of thousands. Well, Rick necessarily wasn't. But the fact that she went out there and she delivered her lines and her interviews... And drove that show along with Fash in front of all those people. Wow. I, I, you would carry me out. I would have fainted. You would have carried me out on a stretcher. I couldn't have done it. 
And then what impressed me as well about Ulrika Johnson was that she was Terry's, Sir Terry Wogan's co-host when the UK hosted the Eurovision Song Contest in Birmingham. Uh, Sir Terry was the presenter of, uh, with Ulrika as his co-presenter. But she then had the very, very arduous and difficult job, in my view, of marshalling the scoreboard at the end when the scores came in. And at that time, most of the country didn't speak English. But she, being so multilingual, could cope with that beautifully. And to see her in front of 300 million people over Europe and the world... Mm, It was a massive show. Nerveless, the way she corralled that scoreboard and updated the scores in, uh, in different languages was breathtaking and that's why if asked and if you were to ask me now uh, who was the most impressive female presenter you ever worked for hands down with great respect to the others who I have enormous regard for Ulrika Johnson wow really yeah honestly she was so consummate and so good in those Big situations, uh, and of course, very very funny on um, on that show that we used to love, mm, uh, shooting, shooting, stars. shooting stars with with Vic and Bob when she was a team captain. She was hilarious on that and really showed her kind of fun side. Um, I, it, I wish she'd do more. I wish she got the opportunity to do more because I think she's an absolute consummate. And as I say, certainly the most impressive female presenter I've ever worked for. So to end uh, with someone that I think you would consider a good friend, Mrs. Debbie McGee. Yes. Um, have you got any tales working with Debbie that you would like to uh, recite to everyone? <laughs> tales with Debbie. Um, Could be a series in, it, in yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah. But I'll, I'll, I'll be brief because I don't want it to sound too, too kind of family orientated. But, um, yeah. Well, you have to bear in mind with Debbie that she was a magnificent assistant to Paul. She knew exactly how to play the magical assistant to Paul Daniels, who was her husband. And with, with a, with a mag, magician's assistant, you've got to look terrific, but you mustn't steal the show because it's all about the magician and, and the magic and the illusions. And also with a magician's assistant, they're the ones doing the damned hard work. You know, behind the scenes, and it, exactly. I mean, this is a um, a drum I keep banging in, in Steam Stoker and Mirrors novels that I write. Where the magic, the magician's assistant, she's the real star because she does all the damn hard work. She's squidging herself into little corners and put, um, ducking behind here and and making sure that the, the trick works uh, correctly. And Debbie played the magic assistant brilliantly, but when Paul died, suddenly she became not Paul's wife, actually, but she actually became Debbie McGee, a very, very good performer in her own right. And that was fantastic to watch and see. And she was always very lovely to me. As I think I've said before, maybe I did it last week when we talked about Paul. Um, it was always, oh, come, come back, we're having egg and chips mm-hmm. after the show. Uh, and uh, Paul and Debbie came to our when I married your mum they came to our wedding and stuff and so no Deb's very special and I'm thrilled that she's doing quite so well in her own right now great success on Strictly Come Dancing Um, 
God, yeah. Been on many series. Mm. Many series since. Bear in mind, uh, she started out as a as a dancer. Mm. Uh, then she went to the Far East as a, with a ballet company and came back and then got a job as Paul Daniels' assistant uh, without much in the way of auditions because Paul was waiting outside to go into, waiting for the doors to unlock to go into this uh, rehearsal room where they were going to start rehearsing the show. And Debbie turned up and she made him laugh. She was, she was so fizzy and fun. He really thought she was sparkling and great, as she, as she is. And that's how she got the job. You know, just off, off the bat. And I think that's just great. I'm, I'm, um, once again, I'm thrilled to call her a, a, a family friend. And this is just, it sound, it sounds a bit cloying now. I'm getting a bit cloying now. Do you, do you want to wrap this up? <laughs> not, at all, not at all. But yes, let's uh, let's end it there. Thank you very much for this week's episode, and we will see you all next week. Yeah, all I would say is um, uh, to all the girls I've worked with before. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> is that too cheesy? Yeah, that's too cheesy, isn't it? We'll keep it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.